Welcome to the Cross Lane Podcast, a community committed to bringing people to Jesus. We're in week two of this series, I Want to Believe, But. You know, some people encounter a barrier to believing in Jesus, some sort of ceiling. And they, when, they, when they think they're rejecting God, they're, they're not rejecting God. What they're really rejecting most of the time is some distorted view that someone has prepackaged and kind of handed to them and said this is what God is like and you know they grew up thinking well that's what God's like and and then they get to a point in their life where they're like well if that's what God's like I don't want anything to do with it the problem is a lot of the time the package that gets delivered isn't a great package we talked last week about on-demand God and how you know, we live in a culture where everything is now. You want to watch your movie in your house right now. You don't want to go to a cinema. You want to be able to do it on your television right now. It's on demand, everything. I had somebody, I had a millennial making fun of me last week because I got so excited about the microwave. <clears throat> That's how you know they're a millennial because they don't remember life without a microwave. Can I get an amen, right? Because before microwave, you if you wanted hot ham and cheese, that was a process, right? Like that took some time. Now you just slap that sucker in the microwave in 30 seconds, you got hot ham and cheese. Hallelujah. So, yeah, I get excited about the microwave. But we came to the conclusion last week that on-demand God doesn't exist. Today I want to talk about killjoy God. You hear people say, there's just too many rules. It's just too... too it's boring. I want, I want to enjoy my life. I, don't, I want to believe in God, but... And there are an awful lot of people that just can't get past the do's and don'ts, or the, I should say, the perceived do's and don'ts. And there are others that, let's just be honest, they, they see Christians and they just don't want to be like them. And sometimes, if I'm totally honest with you, I'm right there with them, Okay. I see some Christians, and if that's what being a Christian is, I want nothing to do with that. Because let's be honest, some of us as Christians, we can be snotty and hypocritical, judgmental, holier than thou, and some of them, just to be totally honest, are boring and square. And you're just like, I don't want to be that. I don't want to be around that. I'm not trying to be around that. I want to believe in God, but there are just too many rules and regulations. I just can't get there. I want to believe in God, but to be honest, Brett, I just don't see any benefit in God for me. I, don't, I just don't see it. Let's start today by talking about the good news and the bad news of Jesus and religion. I want to talk to you first about the bad news. And just a side note real quick, when I talk about religion, I'm not talking about Christianity. Okay, you're going to hear me talk about religion, and when you hear that, that's different than me talking about someone who follows Jesus. Two different things. Um, I, I don't like to be called religious. I don't want you to be called religious. I don't want you to call yourself religious. I don't want people to think that Cross Lane is, is you know, religious. Not after that. Um, and here's why. Because I define religion as doing the same thing over and over, trying to get God to like you. That's what religion is. It's trying to get God to like you because you do certain things and you do them over and over again. Here's the bad news about religion. Religion focuses on the external rather than the internal. And I would rather you than say, you know, I'm a religious person. I would rather you say, I follow Jesus. I have a relationship with Jesus. I'm not religious. 
I have a relationship with Jesus that is new every day. He's leading me. His mercies are new every day. He's leading me in new paths every day. Two days are never the same with me and Jesus. See, if you're, if you're religious, what happens is the days start looking the same, and pretty soon, that's why nobody wants to do religion for very long, because it just gets boring. And that's kind of what Jesus was getting after when he said, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside will also be clean. Religion focuses on the external. Jesus focuses on the internal. And here's what people will wrongly assume about God. They assume that there's this righteous, holy God over here, and here's you know, very unrighteous, very sinful me over here, unholy me, and somehow I need to be made right with God, and so the way I'm going to try to do that, you know, they think that it's, it's, it's all about unholy people doing things that can bridge the gap between them and God. I'll just do enough stuff. Outward human, human effort. I, if I, I'll just work hard at it. I'll just do some things. I'll try harder. I'll be better. You ever woke up in the morning and prayed a prayer like that? God, today I'm going to do better. Today I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it better today. I'm going to behave better today. Religious acts. We try to close the gap between our sinfulness and God's holiness by trying harder, by being better. Chances are at some point in your life, you have adopted any number of religious practices thinking to yourself, I have to go to church, I have to give some money, I have to be nice. You know, your mantra is, I don't drink and I don't chew and I don't go with girls who do. You're like, that's your motto. <laughs> and if I do the good things and I don't do the bad things, then maybe I will be right with God. Religion is trying to close that gap with human behavior and human effort. Jesus said, don't be like the Pharisees because that's exactly what they're trying to do. They would put on this big show. See, in Jesus' time, in some cities, there would be a bell that would ring at certain times in the day. And when the bell would ring, that was the, that was the symbol that everybody was supposed to pray. And so what the Pharisees figured out was, if I'm in the right place when the bell rings, everybody sees me pray and everybody knows how religious I am. It's hard to believe that, that people actually thought and behaved that way and then you watch us today and you think, no, it's really not that hard to believe. But they would, they would try to be in the marketplace if the bell was going to ring at, say, 2 o'clock. They'd try to be in the marketplace so that when the bell rung, they would be in a place where a lot of people could see them and they could pray and everybody could see it and they could hear it. See, they weren't praying so God could hear, they were praying so everybody else could hear. Because they wanted to be seen and they wanted to be heard and they wanted to be thought of as spiritual. And I don't want to go too far down this road today, but to me there's nothing more sickening than watching a Christian try to out-spiritual another Christian. I've had a belly full of that. I'm tired of that. I don't want you doing that. Don't go out of here and try to out-spiritual some other Christian. Don't do that on your Facebook page. 
Don't do that in your Twitter account. Don't go to work tomorrow and try to out-spiritual some other Christian. Stop with that. Just rest in the fact that Jesus loves you. They would stand on the street corner and the bell would ring and everybody would get to hear him pray and they'd pray these elaborate, you know, glorious, wonderful, beautiful, educated prayers. See, when I pray in front of you, part of what I'm doing is I'm trying to model for you how to pray. And I don't know if you've noticed or not, but I talk to God the same way I talk to you. You're my friend, he's my friend. And it, it's, it's, it doesn't have to be, you don't have to use a bunch of special words. You don't have, there's not a right combination where if I can just say it right, then God will hear it. No, you just talk. He just wants to talk to you. They were trying not only to look holy, they, you know, they, they, they another thing they would do is they, they would, they had these elaborate robes and tassels and, you know, when they walked by, they were impressive. I mean, it was cool. You watched them walk by and you're like, man, look at that. I'd love to look like that. Boy, he knows God. He's spiritual. It was all about externals for them. You know where all those rules came from? If you were to go back to the Hebrew Bible, what we refer to as the Old Testament, after the books of Ezra and Nehemiah, the religious leaders looked and they said, look, God's people are breaking the law, and because they break the law, there's all this bondage. So uh, what we're going to do is we're going to come up with some new rules that we're going to make sure get enforced so that we don't break the old rules. Doesn't that sound like fun? Woo! And by the old rules, what they were talking about was the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, and they said, we're going to come up with some man-made laws, and we're going to make it extra safe. And these religious leaders, who I really believe loved God and had good intentions, I, I really think they did. I really think they loved God. I, I think the people today that get caught up in religion and the people that, that try to out-spiritual you at work, I, I'm not suggesting that they don't love God. I think they do love God. I just think that they're incredibly misguided. But they came up with over 600 brand new laws which became known as the fence laws because they were the laws that were designed to protect the original laws. And they were so intense. There were 65 laws alone surrounding what you did on the Sabbath day. Just let me put that in perspective for you. Can you imagine going home today after church and you've got to make sure that you don't break one of 65 rules today? Can you imagine how... how exhausting that would be after a while who wants to do that but there are people today who look at you and think man he goes to church and that's what he's doing he just he spends his whole day hoping he doesn't break the rules if you walked in here today hoping that somehow you were going to hear about a rule god i'm not i'm not selling that god to you today Later in the 3rd century, somebody would compile all these laws into a book. It would be called the Misnah. It was over 800 pages long. Are you kidding me? Which is why Jesus got a little worked up when he said this in Matthew. Don't follow, and he's really referring to the Pharisees. Don't follow the example of the Pharisees, for they don't practice what they teach. They crush people with unbearable religious demands. And never lift a finger to ease the burden. If you've ever thought to yourself, 
I want to believe in God, but there are just too many burdens. There's just too many rules. There's too many laws. It's too repressive. That is not a reflection of the heart of God. That is people who have added to what God has already said. It's additional works. It's trying to close the holiness gap, and it does not reflect the heart of God at all. Anytime you think, killjoy God, I want you to please, please remember, killjoy God does not exist. There's a form of atheism I want you to practice, and it is this one. Don't believe in killjoy God. The laws that God established were not meant to confine us, but to free us. See, anytime God tells us no, it's for the same reason that God that you tell your kids no. I, I, it floors me that, that as parents, we don't make this connection. If you're a mom or a dad, here's what I know about you. I know that you really want to say yes to your children, right? That little three-year-old, little blonde, blue-eyed face comes up, Mommy. What you're hoping is she's going to ask you something that you can say yes to right mommy what you don't want is this mommy can i have some ice cream it's 11 o'clock in the morning can i have some ice cream because the answer to that is what no i'm not getting ice cream we're going to eat in an hour i'm not going to spoil your dinner and be careful don't put your eye out with the spoon right like all those things that you got to say as a mom (laughs) you're hoping that she asks something like mommy can i play with the play-doh you can say yes to that You're going to clean up afterward, but you're going to say yes to that. See what I'm saying? You want to say yes to your kids. We don't want to say, I never wanted to say no to my kids. I was always looking for ways to say yes to them. But we say no to our kids for these two reasons, to protect them and to provide for them. It's the only reason you ever say no to your kids, is to protect them and to provide for them. So here's what I'm asking you this morning. If you're here and you're struggling with this, I just need you to stick with me. Hang with me because at the end, I'm going to set you free. I want to read this morning from Romans chapter 3. If you've got your Bible, turn to that. I want you to see some things in there. If you don't have your Bible, it's okay. We'll put it on the wall for you. These are very familiar passages to many of you. If you spend any time in church, you've heard these. If you've been here, you've really heard these because i I talk about this all the time romans 3 verse 20 therefore no one will be declared righteous now just for the sake of someone who's new to cross lane if you've been going to cross lane a while you know what righteous is but we need to help the new people get on board righteous means right standing with god very good when you see righteous in your bible i want your brain to click that over into right standing with god See, righteous is hard to understand. Right standing with God, that's easy. Righteous just simply means a right standing with God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous or in a right standing with God in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. What is the good news of Jesus? I want to break this down for us this morning into three very simple um, thoughts. The first one is this. You cannot earn God's acceptance by obeying the law. Can't do it. I don't care how hard you try. 
how religious you are. I don't care how many good works you do. I don't care how many bad works you avoid. You cannot earn God's acceptance by obeying the law. Romans is clear. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. No one. doesn't matter what kind of church you go to, how holy you act. doesn't matter how good a show you put on or how hard you try. You cannot be good enough to please God by just keeping the law. You can't do it. Which raises a very logical question then, Brett. Why did God give us the law? We can't live up to it, then why did he give it to us in the first place? That leads to the second thought this morning, which is this. The purpose of the law is to show you your need of a Savior. That's why we have the law. It's to show you your need of a Savior. Look at verse 20 again. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather... Through the law, we become conscious of our sin. In other words, through the rules, God says there's certain things that I'm telling you I don't want you to do. Well, in telling us not to do those things, those are the things we want to do. And a lot of times, we go out and do them. And then we go, oh my goodness, I'm not as good as I thought I was. And God's like, that's why I gave you the law. Because I want you to see that on your own, you can't keep all that stuff. You need me. You need a Savior. And it's here that we need to camp out a little bit because here's the general thought for most people. I'm not a bad person. I'm not a bad person. I've been in church my whole life, been in ministry over 30 years. I hear this all the time. Brett, I'm really really a good person. I'm not a bad person. That's why the law is so important because the law disagrees with that. The law says, no, you're really not that good of a person. See, one of the things that I say all the time, and I've had people argue with me about this, they get offended when I say, you are not a good person who sometimes gets it wrong. You're a bad person who once in a while gets it right. That's what all of us, that's what we are. We're bad people who once in a while we get it right. We got this thing down deep inside of us that's got a penchant to sin. We're selfish. We can be mean, we can be petty, we can be jealous. All kinds of stuff going on down in there that we don't want anybody to know about. Lustful, all kinds of stuff. And I've had people, I, a really good friend of mine one time, she looked at me and she said, Brett, I just really take issue with that. I am a good person. I have one question for you. If you're such a good person, why can't you be good all the time? See, compared to somebody else, you might not look that bad. Compared to the standard of somebody else, you may look really good. But compared to the standard of God, we fall terribly short. Here's the thing. If we start talking about God, if you had a friend that doesn't really go to church much and and the subject of God comes up, they kind of default to how good they are or, you know, good things that they've done. You know, like, I'm a pretty good person. I'm not, they would say something like, "I'm I'm not the best, but I'm not the worst. What happens is, I put them on a continuum. If let's say that over here is Hitler, okay, Hitler, little mustache, Hitler over here. <laughs> over here's Mother Teresa, right? Mother Teresa. The subject of God comes up with your unchurched friend, and what they want to do, and really, honestly, what we all want to do is we want to. Once God, the subject of God comes up, we want to come stand over here next to Hitler, right? Because when I'm standing next to Hitler, I look pretty good. I mean, at least I'm not Hitler. 
right? What I don't want to do is I don't want to be walking down on this end and stand next to Mother Teresa because that is not going to work out very good for me. If I got to be compared to her, I'm like, I want to step away from Mother Teresa, right? Because I don't look like her. I'm not as good as her. She dedicated her life, selfless servant of God. She's one of my heroes, but man, I'm telling you, I don't look anything like her. We want to compare. But compared to the standard of God, we all fall terribly short. How many of you have ever, let me just ask you to raise your hand. How many of you have ever lied? Raise your hand. Okay, look around, because if their hand's not raised, they're lying. <laughs> right? How many of you have ever stolen something? I have stolen something. How many of you have ever lusted? Ladies, close your eyes so the men can raise their hands, okay? <laughs> That's right. Yeah, look at it. We got it. We get, it's almost like a worship service right now. Oh, I've lusted. <clears throat> the standard of God is so much above our standard, and we have a tendency to think that our sins aren't as bad as everybody else's sins. We, we think a white lie isn't as bad as stealing. Lust isn't as bad as adultery. I'm just going to tell you, that's not how Jesus saw it. This is what Jesus said. Jesus said, you've heard, don't commit murder. Standard. I tell you, you hate your brother, you hate somebody, you've committed murder in your heart. <laughs> really? Yeah. All have sinned. And fall short of the glory of God. He went further than that. Jesus said, you've heard it said, do not commit adultery. That's the standard. And you're like, okay, I'm good. I tell you, if you even carry lust in your heart for someone, you have committed adultery. Uh-oh. Right? Because... I'm just going to say it for the men. Ladies, you might be more virtuous than us. Men, we got no shot. Right? We try hard. We do. We try hard, but it's tough. See, God's standard is so extremely, extremely high. Based on the way we just answered those questions, most of us in the room are lying, thieving adulterers. Aren't you glad you got up and came to Cross Lane this morning? Put your clothes on. Woo! I'm going to go let Brett encourage me this morning. I'm not a bad person. Oh, really? I would say of all of us, we are wretched, pathetic, unrighteous, and unholy. <laughs> so glad I came to church today. I'm Brett. I'm your friend. I'm here to tell you the truth. Seriously, why, why am I, like, I'm hammering this, right? When you're going through life saying things like, I'm really not a bad person, then you need to recognize you don't understand God's forgiveness and goodness alone is all you need. When you think it's because of what you're doing, you're, you're not getting it. You're not putting it together. And until you see yourself as a sinner, you will not understand that you need a Savior. You cannot be good enough for God. There, there's, not, there's not one person who can perform in such a way that God would be impressed and go, oh, you can come in. Yeah, it's fine. You, you behaved great. See, we've all sinned and we've all fallen woefully short. 
of God's standard and God's glory. The law shows us that we need God's goodness and we need his mercy and his grace. We need help. Thought one, you cannot earn God's acceptance by obeying the law. Thought two, the purpose of the law is to show your need of a Savior. Thought three, and here comes the good news, being right with God comes by faith in Christ alone. Not by religious works. Not by waking up in the morning and saying, God, I'm going to do better today. I'm going to try harder today. Aren't you sick to death of that prayer? I'm going to do better today, God. I'm going to do better today. I'm going to do better. Pretty soon we look like, what about Bob? I feel good. I feel great. I feel wonderful. You're, just, you're better off just doing that, honestly, if that's the prayer you're going to pray. You see, it's only by trusting in the perfect work of Jesus on the cross. That's what Paul meant when he said in verse 22 of Romans 3, this righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ. To whom? To all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short the glory of God. Doesn't matter how bad your past has been. Doesn't matter how bad your present is. When you put your faith in Jesus Your sins are forgiven and you are made completely new. You do not need religion. Really, I I tell you that in one form or another every week. I'm fond of saying, I preach the same message every week, I'm just using different words. You do not need religion, you need Jesus and you need Jesus alone. and, And you don't need Jesus plus something. I know somebody in my life who it's with them it's always Jesus plus something always it can never just be Jesus with them it's Jesus in a horoscope Jesus in biorhythms you know Jesus and and uh, stargazing or Jesus and transcendental meditation Jesus and yoga Jesus and whatever Middle East thing they got they're selling this week it's never just Jesus with them it's always Jesus and something else no it's Christ alone that's why at Cross Lane we love the story of Jesus hanging on the cross between two thieves that sounds kind of morbid I know but here's why we love that story Jesus is on a cross between these two vile human beings who've done really horrible awful things and one of them is hurling insults at Jesus you you saved others save yourself and save us you're so great do something about this insults insults just hateful But from the other side, hey, Jesus, when you come into your kingdom, would you you remember me? And Jesus, bloodied, beaten, stretched out on a Roman cross, looked at this guilty, vile criminal and said, today you will be with me in paradise. Well, wait, Brett, to be right with God, he's going to have to do something. He's got to go to the synagogue. He's got, he's, I mean, he's got to be baptized. He's got, something's got to happen for him. Well, what's he going to do? He's strapped to a cross. He, he's not going anywhere. There's nothing this guy can do. Faith alone. Jesus said, today, you'll be with me in paradise. But Brett, we've sinned. How does that work? Well, What's really cool is that 
In, in Romans chapter 5, Paul starts talking about this righteousness, this gift of righteousness that we've been given. And again, remember, righteous is a right standing with God. We're given the gift of a right standing with God from Jesus. It's a gift that he gives to us. And, and, and the, the illustration that I would use is, is it's as if Jesus is wearing a robe of perfection. His perfect self, the robe that he's wearing, and he walks up to you when you receive him as your savior, and he takes that robe off and he wraps it around you. Are you perfect? No, you're not perfect. But you are now clothed in the perfection of Jesus so that when God looks at you, what he sees is not some wretched soul that can never get it right, but what he sees is the perfection of Jesus. You've been given the gift of a right standing with God. Are you perfect? No, but you're made righteous. That's why if we're in Christ, we are a new creation and we are forgiven. And God doesn't see us as the filthy sinners we are, but he sees us as the righteousness of Christ. That's the difference between religion and Christianity. Religion is all wrapped up in performance and looking good. Christianity is about the perfect work that was done by Jesus. What separates religion from Christianity are two letters of the alphabet, N and E. See, with religion, it's all about what I do, but in Jesus, it's about what's been done for me. I didn't do it. Jesus did it for me. Every other world religion, it's what you do. You got to do something. In Christianity, there's nothing you can do. Jesus has to do it for you. Religion says, I'll try really hard. And if I obey, maybe God will love me. Christianity says, because God loves me, I am accepted in Christ and I choose to obey. I want to obey. See, do I want to do that here or not? When you hear somebody say, there's just too many rules, here's what's going on. Religion has complicated what God has made very, very simple. Religion complicates things. Guys like me have made this really hard for people like you. They've complicated it. This message is not that hard. It's always been simple, but religion comes along and it complicates it and tries to add to the simplicity of the message that God gave us. Adam and Eve, okay, they're, they're in the garden. They've got everything they need. They've got food for eons. It's beautiful. They don't need a thing. It's perfect. And God says, there's one thing I don't want you to touch. It's this tree. Does anybody know the name of the tree? Tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Very good. Don't touch this tree. Don't eat from it. Don't touch it. I've had people ask me, Brett, why did God put that tree in the garden? Was he doing it to keep them from the, the fun stuff? No. He set that tree off limits to give them life and give them a choice. Otherwise, all we are are puppets. All we are is robots. If we have no choice, then God just made a bunch of clones. He flipped the switch, and we do everything we're supposed to do. But when he puts the tree in the garden, now we have a choice. That's what love is all about. You don't want somebody who's made to love you. You want somebody who chooses to love you, right? You want somebody to wake up and say of their own volition, I really love you. If they were programmed to do it, it would mean anything for you. Religion has brought a bunch of rules and complicated what God made simple. There's a passage in, in the Psalms 
It's the 16th Psalm. Verse 6, it says, The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Isn't that beautiful? The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. In other words, I have the freedom on this side and on the other side is danger. And I thank God for the boundary because it is there because he loves me. When my oldest son, Bennett, was really small, we went to a family reunion on my side of the family. My aunt had a house and in the backyard, probably closer than the back wall is to the stage, there was a train track that went through her yard. No fence. Just a train track. Bennett was elated when we moved to Terre Haute because of all the trains. Because he loved trains. Choo-choo train, Daddy. Choo-choo train. You know, and I'm like you now. Yeah, I see the choo-choo train. He, he was in glory. He was all about Thomas the tank engine, and he loved trains. And he saw those railroad tracks, and he made a beeline for the railroad tracks, and I made a beeline after him, trying to track him down before he got to the train. And when I snatched him up and I said, nobody, you can't, you can't get that close to the railroad tracks. Well, his reaction was what you would expect his reaction to be. He didn't like that. But see, I wasn't telling him that he couldn't play on the, on the train tracks and he couldn't get close to the train to ruin his day or to be some kind of killjoy in his world. I wasn't telling him, no, you can't do that because I got some perverse pleasure from telling my son, no. I'm always looking for ways to say yes to my kids. Yes. But buddy, no, you cannot play close to the railroad tracks. You can't do it. But dad, I love trains. I know you love trains, but I love you, and I'm trying to keep you alive. How can we see that with our kids, but we can't see that with God? That sometimes God says no, and it's not because he's trying to make our life miserable or because he's trying to be some kind of cosmic killjoy, but because God actually loves us and is trying to protect us, and he says, look, you, I want you to have life. And if I set that out of bounds, I've got a chance of giving you life. If I let you do that, you, you're not going to make it. That will hurt you. God hates anything that will hurt you. He doesn't hate you. He hates anything that will hurt you. That's why he hates sin. Religion complicates with laws. Jesus simplifies with love. Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? What's the most important commandment? Jesus said, above all else, love the Lord your God. And he said, love him with all your heart, with all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. And love your neighbor as you love yourself. Well, wait a minute, Jesus. What about those other 613 laws that these guys made up? What about the Hebrew Bible? Jesus says, I'm about relationships. That's what I'm about. Love God, love people. Religion complicates with laws, Jesus simplifies with love. I was reading a book by Andy Stanley recently, and he said this in the book, and it's brilliant. And I want to pass this on to you, and you need to live your life by this. If you're ever confused, if you ever wonder, what, is it, what does it mean to live the Christian life? Here it is in one sentence. Are you ready? Here we go. If you ever question what to do, I'm going to make sure I'm saying it right. Ask what love requires of you. 
If you ever question what to do, ask what love requires of you. You got a situation in front of you? I don't know what to do. I don't want to know what to do. Love. Jesus is about relationship. Jesus is about love. Jesus is about people coming together and loving one another. So that's the answer, okay? The answer is not hatred. The answer is not, you know, distance. The answer is not get away from me. When you wonder what to do, ask what love requires of you. I've heard people say, I don't, I don't want all that Jesus stuff. It's just too complicated. No, no, that's religion. Religion complicates it. Jesus makes it simple. Follow me, love me, love other people. It's easy. When you give your life to Christ, you are clothed in him and you are accepted and the boundary lines fall in pleasant places. And I don't have to obey I choose to obey. See, here's what I know about you. You want to do the right thing for the right reason. You want to do the right thing. Problem is, too many people, there are churches filled this morning with people who are trying to do the right thing. The problem is they're trying to do the right thing for all the wrong reasons. And here's what I know. You will not do the right thing for the wrong reason, at least not very long. You'll get frustrated. You'll get exasperated. You'll get bored. You will not do the right thing for the wrong reason. You will do the right thing for the right reason. That's why, you know, sometimes someone will come to me and they're addicted, they're, they're you know, they're an alcoholic or they're on pills or whatever, and, you know, Brett, I'm going to quit for my wife. And I say, no, that's never going to work. If, you just, if you're trying to quit for your wife, you're never going to make it. That's the wrong reason. You've got to quit for you. You've got to quit for you. See, you've got to do the right thing for the right reason. Let me see if I can... I'm about to get off my notes, and it's scary, but let's go. Um, when you come to Christ, and you say, I- I'm coming to Christ, I want forgiveness. Here's the cool thing. Jesus forgives everything that you've ever done. Isn't that the greatest news in the world? It's great news. Now, here's this where it really gets cool. He also forgives everything you're ever going to do. Now, here's what's going on. Some people who've been going to church for a really long time are thinking to themselves right now, Brett, don't tell them that. You can't tell them that. You can't tell them that. Why do they not want me to tell you that? Because they're afraid if I tell you that, you're going to run out. Woohoo! Let's go sin. We get to do all this stuff. If you're an idiot, that's what you're going to do. Because think about it. Everything that you've ever done in your life, all the problems you've got in your life right now are the direct result of either your sin or somebody else's right? Every, every bad thing going on in your world, for the most part, I mean, there's some things that they're just, we have no control over, but a lot of things are either the result of somebody else's bad decision or your bad decision. And I just told you that not only are you forgiven for all that, but Jesus forgives all that up there. So, how do you respond Those of you who are parents that have parents in here that have had kids graduate from high school, let me see. When they got given gifts for high school graduation, what did you tell them? Sit down and do what? Write a thank you note. Because that's what well-raised kids do, right? They, they're thankful. You write a thank you note. And if you're anything like my mother, you stood over their shoulder and watched them do it. Proofread the whole thing. Because that's what we do. You say thank you when you've been given a good gift. Let me tell you something. 
The person who comes along and gives you the thing you need more than anything else in the world and forgives every sin, not only that you have committed, but ever will commit in your life, is that not the greatest gift you're ever going to receive in your life? What is the response to that gift? Thank you. Thank you. So you wake up every day of your life not saying some stupid prayer like, God, I'm going to do better today. I'm going to behave better today. No. You wake up and you say, God, in light of what you've done for me, you've forgiven every sin I've ever committed and every sin I'm ever going to commit. How do I take this day and author a thank you note with my life? I see that's doing the right thing for the right reason. And that's easy. Are you going to get it right? Absolutely not. You're going to mess it up. And at the end of the day, you're going to come to Jesus and go, Jesus, I messed it up. And he's going to go, yeah, but man, you, you, you did the best you could to live a thank you note for me today. It was cool to watch you. Just live your life as a thank you note to God every day. So here's how we wrap up. Ross, just forget the slides. In John chapter 8 is one of my favorite stories. This woman comes to, they bring, they drag this woman to Jesus. All these Pharisees, they drag this naked woman in front of Jesus. They've caught her in the act of adultery. And it's, I love this story. And here's Jesus, and they just basically drag her to his feet. Can you imagine being her? The humiliation, all these people, it's busy, it's the city's full of people. All these people are watching. It's a big ruckus. These Pharisees are making a big deal of it, and she's going to have a stitch on. Jesus, we caught her in the act of adultery. The, Bible, the, 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 the law says that we should stone her. We should stone her. What do you say? And Jesus, in cool Jesus fashion, said about what you'd expect. Yeah, it's what, it's what it says. So, first one of you that hadn't done anything wrong, pick up a rock and you go first. Oh. And the Bible says that he wrote in the sand. And, you know, one by one, rocks just started hitting the ground with the older ones first. And they just started to hit the ground and they started walking away. And we're told there in John that Pretty soon, all that's left is Jesus and this woman. And he looks at her and he says, hey, um, is there nobody here to condemn you? And she said, no, sir. And he said, neither do I condemn you. Now, right now, somebody's going, oh, yeah, Brett, but he said more than that. He said more than that. There's another sentence. There's another sentence. He said more than that. Okay, so let's say it together. What else did he say? Go and sin no more, right? Okay, here's the thing. In your head, what does that sound like? In your head, how does Jesus say that sentence? Because I think for a lot of Christians, the ones I don't want to hang out with and the ones I don't want to be associated with, here's how they hear Jesus saying that. Go and sin no more. Dang on it. Tired of this. Going to die on a cross for you and you can't even stay out of bed with some other guy? Go and sin no more. Is that how he said it? That's how some Christians hear it. It's not how I want you to hear it. 
Here's what I want you to hear. Don't do that. Don't do that. I love you. That's not good for you. I came to bring you something better. The love that you're looking for in that bed, you're going to find in me. You don't need to do that. Don't do that anymore. Now here's the big question. If she goes out and she commits adultery again and they drag her to Jesus the next day, does the message change? No. It doesn't change. Religion makes it complicated. Jesus makes it easy. Grace. Mercy. Love. See, when I extend an invitation, if you've walked in here this morning, you've never given your life to Christ, I am not inviting you to come sign up to keep a bunch of rules. Because here's what I know. When Jesus forgave me, he set me free. I don't ever have to worry about my sin again. Does that mean I go sin willy-nilly? No, because sin jacks me up. I don't want to sin. It causes problems. But when I do, I know I'm forgiven. That's what's being offered to you this morning. And I don't know what anybody else has told you following Jesus is. But I'm here to tell you following Jesus is about having your sin forgiven, all of it, and being set free. Killjoy God doesn't exist. Let me pray over you. Father, we live in a world where people are looking at Christians these days and they're drawing conclusions about you based on us and man are we messing it up because it's been made about an awful lot of things that it's really just not about at all it's about trying to figure out a way to say thank you to you for what you've done to us for us you've forgiven us every sin we've ever committed died with you on the cross we can have it all taken away all of it through your grace and your forgiveness. And somehow, we've invented this idea that we've got to do something or that we even can do something. And that is just ridiculous. We can't. And you're very clear when you talk to us and you say, all have sinned and fall short. The only way we can come to you is through the blood of Jesus. And so, Father, this morning, if there's one person in this room who's never given their life to you, I pray that they would understand maybe for the first time in their life. It's not about what they do. It's not about how good they are. It's not about keeping some rule. They're never going to be able to keep all the rules. It's about accepting the free gift of forgiveness that you purchased on a cross with your blood. And we are just wrecked by the reality of that. just wrecked. God, when it falls on me that that's what you did, how do I wake up every day of my life and not try to figure out a way to say thank you? So that's where we are this morning. Thank you. Thank you for your gift. Jesus' name we pray.